0: are the ad watchers we are attorneys at the national advertising division of bbb national programs a team with 50 years of experience investigating and resolving disputes over the truthfulness and accuracy of national advertising campaigns to make sure advertisers can back up what they are telling consumers we don't just take ads at face value we put them to the test why because advertising law is simple it's the execution that's hard Welcome back to another episode of Ad Watchers, NAD's podcast that gives a view into how our organization reviews claims and applies advertising law. If you missed any of our previous episodes, don't forget to check them out later. They're available wherever you are listening to this. My co-host today is NAD Assistant Director Annie Ugerlion. This is your first time in the co-host chair, Annie, and I can't think of a better topic to be discussing with you. This is a topic, uh, something you know quite a bit about. What are we talking about today?
1: Hi, Eric. It's such a pleasure to be here. So today we're going to talk about cosmetics advertising. We're going to go through the kinds of claims that we see at NAD, the kind of support you might need, and also some emerging issues.
0: So claims in cosmetic advertising are something we've seen a lot at NAD and continue to see a lot. Why is that so? And what can you tell us about the history of uh, cosmetic advertising claims?
1: So we've looked at cosmetic advertising claims for, for quite some time, but we really started taking a closer look in the early aughts because we saw advertising making really strong claims, you know, comparisons to cosmetic procedures, right? Forgo plastic surgery, just use our, our product instead. And so we started to take a closer look and really to try to provide you know, guidance to industry. And while we haven't seen too many competitor challenges, at least with respect to any aging claims, we feel like we've brought a, quite a number of cases that have provided a you know, good roadmap for, for advertisers to avoid making you know, overbroad claims.
0: And this is a massive industry. I I believe the latest reports that the cosmetics industry is $500 billion globally and continuing to grow quickly. So, Annie, what are the most common kinds of claims that we have seen at NAD?
1: So, the most common claims we see are, you know, improvements in various anti-aging parameters, like fewer lines. Sometimes those are quantified claims, but fewer lines and wrinkles, firmer skin, improved uh, hydration in the skin. And certainly, you know, I'd mentioned earlier the comparisons to cosmetic procedures. We don't see that quite as much anymore. So there are ebbs and flows in the types of claims, but I'd say more often than not, these are the kinds of claims that we're looking at.
0: And something we see often in reviewing these advertisements are before and after photos. These are a common feature in cosmetics advertising, trying to depict uh, the results you may achieve by using a particular product. And it's important to remember that before and after photos may be performance claims. Uh, They may convey a message beyond the individual depicted in the the photos, they may promise certain results, and those performance claims need to be substantiated. So NAD has determined that certain claims in cosmetic advertising require objective forms of proof. For example, when specific results are promised, which are often quantified, Annie, what are some examples of the types of evidence advertisers can rely on or shouldn't rely on when making cosmetics claims?
1: Sure. So I think the first thing uh, to ask is what is the claim, right? We always start with the claim at NAD. So is it objectively provable or subjectively provable? So if you have a claim like 90% of women told us their skin looked younger, that is something that can, that's a subjective claim, leaving aside if there are any other uh, messages, but that can be supported by a home use test that should be reliable, of course, and have a questionnaire where you have That exact question asked right of the uh, participants, but if it's objectively provable, like you're saying, reduces wrinkles, increases hydration, increases firmness, those are things that can be measured, and so there are actual tests, a corneometer test which measures skin hydration, etc., and so you need that kind of testing, preferably a clinical test that actually shows that. Uh, those um, benefits can be achieved. What you shouldn't rely on is uh, supplier data, for example. One of the questions I get asked, my supplier gave me this uh, certificate and they said this ingredient is in the product. It's very important to test the full and final formulation. Uh, So a couple of years ago, uh, we had a case at NAD where the advertiser relied on their uh, oil suppliers' information about the amount of CBD that was in the product, but they didn't test the finished product to determine if the amount of CBD was actually in the product. So, And that uh, touched on uh, efficacy claims that were being made as well. So avoid relying on supplier data and always make sure you test uh, the full and final formulation.
0: Another issue that we've seen recently, at least in one case, was The consideration that you pay attention to the audience to whom the ad is directed. We saw an advertisement for moisturizing wash, and in the advertisement, it it depicted an African American woman. And when we looked at the testing, the testing did not test women of all skin tones. I believe there were six categories of skin tone, and the testing only tested the four lightest skin tones, leaving out the the four darker skin tones. So we said that was a concern there. So it's important to know the audience and make sure that anyone who product is tested on, we get a representative sample of consumers in the marketplace. So Annie, what are some of the other common pitfalls in cosmetics advertising?
1: So one of the most common pitfalls is the overstatement of a product's uh, capabilities or uh, the competitor product's shortcomings. So we've seen claims such as, for example, dramatically younger looking skin or claim that it lifts wrinkles from the inside out or visibly lifted wrinkles and noticeably firmer skin. And so what we often see are pretty good substantiation And and lots of different types of tests, but they're just not a good fit for the claims. So we will see various objective testing, right? Instrumental measurements. We'll see clinical studies or even uh, consumer use studies, but the best results, the most statistically significant results are for attributes that are not mentioned in the ad. So for example, the dramatically younger looking eyes, the best results were for softer and smoother skin, which were not mentioned. So we often see that kind of disconnect. Quantity is, is not the key. It's quality of evidence and making sure it ties into the claims.
0: And let's talk for a minute about the different kinds of products that may have cosmetic claims attached to them. For example, dietary supplements. We've seen a a dietary supplement product that was advertised with implied claims that it had an anti-aging effect. And then when we looked at the data, there was no data supporting a claim that there were noticeable anti-aging effects only that the product worked on the cellular level.
1: Another common pitfall that we see is unreliable test methodology, specifically that it's not consumer relevant. So we had a case uh, a while back, uh, it was a a mascara, and they were making a pretty strong claim about the volume that it conferred, like 1,944% more volume. And what they showed us was testing using a micrometer uh, on human eyelashes. But it wasn't on an actual person. It was on human eyelashes that were attached with a tape and applied that way. And so that's just not consumer relevant. It doesn't reflect how it will work on an actual person. And there was also no evidence that this was a reliable measurement at all. It didn't measure lash length or lash volume And so, and there was also an unreliable consumer use study. So, consumer relevance is at the heart of almost every NAD case. So, it's very important to show that whatever testing you're relying on is consumer relevant and meaningful.
0: I can think of another case example where we saw some of these test methodology concerns pop up. Uh, In one case where a soap product was being advertised, and the, the product was being advertised as being washing without leaving behind soap scum. And it was advertised through a depiction of a mirror and soap scum being, or something, some kind of residue being left on a mirror and as a proxy for what appears on human skin. And and NAD said that 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 was not appropriate. And then when you looked at the testing, the soap was being left on the skin for 90 seconds, which didn't, Properly replicate typical washing and rinsing experiences. So, and that this comes up very often when you try to do testing in this area, it has to mimic typical use by consumers, how they apply these products, how they use these products.
1: So, let's turn to emerging areas. Eric, uh, do you want to kick that off?
0: Sure. One of the things we see in the marketplace recently is products pitched in the category of clean beauty. And this is kind of a loose term. It may refer to products that are are sustainable, which uh, I think was the subject of of a previous episode, or that these products contain fewer synthetic ingredients or less toxic ingredients. So it's important to think about what is meant by clean in this context. That could have a lot of connotations. It's also important to consider any claims that may be made about particular substances that may or may not be harmful, which are included or which are included in a, in a competitor's product. And what are the advantages to this product being tagged as a clean beauty product or with a claim that it does not contain certain kinds of, of substances?
1: Another emerging area is the skin microbiome. So there are claims about the use of probiotics or prebiotics or prosbiotics to improve the skin microbiome. And the claims range from improving the skin barrier or enhancing skin's appearance or balancing the skin microbiome. It's very important to be specific about whatever strain you're using. And if you're trying efficacy of the strain, to any improvements in the skin microbiome, those claims have to be supported.
0: And one last emerging area to think about is the metaverse. Uh, We've already seen some cosmetic brands already dip their toe into the metaverse, and we'll see what kind of shape that takes, but important to remember that uh, any advertising claims made inside the metaverse will require support.
1: And it's going to be different platforms too, right? There's some going into using Roblox, but it'll be interesting to see how this area shapes up. So Eric, what tips and takeaways did we learn today?
0: So we learned that in the beauty business, there are a lot of objective claims being made. It's not all subjective. And those objective claims require a high level of support. So it's important for legal departments, marketing personnel, and research and development to work together when putting claims out there in the marketplace that make strong claims about the performance of cosmetic products. And it's also important to know your audience. It's important that consumers who are targeted by a company's advertising be assured that the product has been tested and that it can specifically perform for them. So clinical studies supporting claims should be demographically reflective of the target population in the ad.
1: And last but not least, it's very important to remember that quality of studies matters more than uh, quantity. And I sort of call this quality and good fit versus quantity and bad fit. As we, we talked about earlier, you know, sometimes we see really good studies, but they're just not a good fit for the claims that are being made. So just be mindful about that.
0: Thank you again for tuning into this episode of The Ad Watchers. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today.
1: Join us next month for another episode of The Ad Watchers. As always, you can head over to our website, bbbprograms.org, to learn more about what we do at the National Advertising Division or any of our other self-regulatory programs. That's all for this episode. See you next
0: time.